You're listening to Africa's Business Rockstars podcast with Nafa Ahoy, a show that shares the stories of successful Africans in business and how they did it. It's our story told our way to inspire our people. This podcast is sponsored by IDS Consultant Ghana Limited, a company dedicated to supporting small and medium-sized enterprises with accounting and business advisory services at an affordable rate. Visit www.idsconsultantga.com to learn more. I remember the first day we had pumpkin soup on the menu. And somebody said, Madam, somebody wants to do a takeaway pumpkin soup. I was like, ah, what's the way to put this in? Because <laughs> <laughs> I hadn't even thought of takeaway packs for my soup. Do you think? So we put it in a coffee cup because I was like, okay, let's just improvise. And I quickly had to order. But they themselves found it amusing. Like, Madam, what's the way put this I said, I don't know. So let's just put it in the coffee cup and let's wing it and let's, let's see how it goes. So every day was a story. There was always something exciting. Every, like, literally, we were there 12, 15 hours a day chugging it. Hi, you're listening to Africa's Business Rockstars and our guest today is Yvette Nana Ama Kwai Ansa, who is a savvy entrepreneur and the owner of Cafe Kwai, an upscale coffee shop in Ijiri, located in one airport square in Accra, Ghana. Now, I particularly like Yvette's story because she effortlessly combines the past while embracing the future. Named after her great-grandmother in honor of her late father, the cafe represents a deep tie to her heritage. Her menu is full of delectable entrees, drinks, and desserts matched with a decor designed to inspire the comforts of home. The cafe is a breakout star on the bustling Ghana food scene. Stick and stay. So Yvette, just tell us how it all began. Give us a bit of background as to who Yvette is. My full name is Yvette Nana. I'm a quiet dancer. I went to school in Ghana. I went to Wesley Girls High School. Okay. And I left after A-levels and I studied law. University of Nottingham. A-level, so that puts us at what year? I finished A-levels 96. Okay. Yes, and I left a few months after that and I studied law in the University of Nottingham and I did a master's in international relations. My background is, my formal background, if you have it, is law and international relations. I left Ghana, I guess I was gone for like 15 years. And I moved back home about 2011, 2012. Okay, so you hold on to that. So you left Ghana in 1996, went to study law and international relations. Was that like your corporate work? That was my corporate work. Between 2000 and 2004, I worked in law firms and then I stopped and went to do my master's and international relations. Okay. And then I moved briefly to Tunis to go work with the AFDB. Okay. I'm in the legal department. What is the AFDB? African Development Bank. Okay. That's what it stands for. And then I went back to the UK and then went to the States. And that was where I was working to Ghana. Okay. So 1996, law school, international relations, worked in a law firm. So you're basically living your best life, right? Yes, I was, <laughs> you know, living yes. my best life, you know, <laughs> working hard, playing hard. Yes. Anybody who knows me knows I, I don't do halves. I work and I play. Yeah. You know, so it was good times, made good friends, ate good food, mm-hmm. traveled. Yeah, it was a great life. Would you say this is what you figured you're going to do with your life? I thought that was going to be my life. I got into food in Bristol when I was studying for my master's. Okay. I got introduced to the concept of farmer's markets and I started shopping at the farmer's markets. I got to know the farmers. I got to know about sustainability and farm to table and eating food that's organic mm-hmm. and all that stuff. So it must have stirred up something in me. And soon I stopped going to the supermarkets and I was pretty much doing about 80% of my shopping from the farmer's markets. And I'd go and I'd get recipes and I'd start tinkering with them. And I started realizing I was spending a lot more time doing that 
So is that how the idea of Cafe Choir sort of started? So we have to backtrack. Sure. So when I moved back, I knew I wasn't going to study law in Ghana. I wasn't a good employee. Let's just say it like that. That much I knew for sure. Luckily, my mom has a school. She has a preschool for ages one to five. And she'd been doing it on her own for about 10 years. Okay. So the plan for me moving back was to, while I'm trying to figure myself out, help her sort out paperwork and, you know, a plan for the school. I also discovered I don't like good children. So I was literally not very happy there. I was yeah. a bad employee there. So because I was back home, you're eating like jollof, kiniwili, beans, right. Right. eating local three foods. square meals a day and I was not moving an inch. Slowly realizing my clothes are getting very tight. So I said, okay, let me just go back to how I used to eat when I was in the States, which was literally a salad for lunch or a sandwich, something very simple. And then I mentioned to a friend that, oh, today I'm making a salad. And she said, oh, why don't you bring me some at work? And the company was Loris Development. I don't know what the full name is, but Loris. This is here back in Ghana? This is back in Ghana, yes. So I made the sandwich or the salad and I sent it to her. And she was like, wow, your salad is really good. I shared it with a colleague and Mm -hmm. he wants one tomorrow as well. And so it moved from two people having salads to five people wanting. I said, oh, hold up. Something, I guess, the entrepreneur in me was like, this is, this is an opportunity. It's a good business opportunity. Exactly. So I made a timetable and I said, okay, this is what we're doing every day. Mm. And this food is, wise. Food wise. Yes. Oh. I said, this is my menu for the week. You have to order by 10 and we can send it to you in the office. So from Laura's, it grew to about maybe seven to 10 people every day. So okay. with my sister, Yabeti, we, <laughs> we would get up in the morning, buy the stuff and like literally very basic stuff from my mom's kitchen. And then someone forwarded the menu to Vodafone. At that time, there were a lot of expats at Vodafone. And I guess we were also looking for an alternative to our local, like our heavier local foods for lunch. Yeah, some more like healthy food. Exactly. So it literally spiraled from maybe seven people to a day making about 25 salads. Well, how are you combining that with actually having a regular 95? I didn't have a regular 95. That's the point. But my sister was back at that time also. So she actually studied education, was better suited for the position, Yeah, was back in a class. So she was focusing on the school, but she would help me during her breaks. Yeah. And then somebody sent it to Vodafone. The Vodafone CEO was like, ended up eating, like it was just crazy. It just literally spiraled from there. So I was in my mom's kitchen making salads, sandwiches and juices for a good three years. Which you were selling? Yes. To people in Vodafone? No, not only Vodafone, but everybody started sharing. Because I guess that's when I realized there was a need for it. Yeah. Because from moving from somebody sharing it from Laura to somebody sharing it from Vodafone, somebody also shared it with whoever. Yeah. And then these people just started organically calling me and ordering. And then one Saturday I was at home, the security guard is like, someone's looking for you. And there's a man and his wife and a child in a buggy. And I'm like, yes, can I help you? They're like, oh, we heard you make us. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, it's only delivery. So then that's when I realized that it would be, I started thinking about finding a fiscal location. So that seed was planted at that time. That was Fresh Price. So the company that was doing the salads and the sandwiches and juices was Fresh Price. So Loris, which is the company that I had my first <laughs> clients with, I went to the office one day and my friend is like, um, we're coming up with a new project in the airport city. And I saw the building. I was like, wow, it's a very fancy building. And I remember I told her, I said, this is where my cafe is going to be. I just literally said, I said, if I could ever open a place in Ghana, this is where I'm going to be. This is Airport City. Airport City, right. right. So you're talking high level. Exactly. Bougie. But I have never been someone, my sights have always been set high. I've never known how to play small. The other time, did you have money in the bank? Sister, my mother was still feeding me, let's just see. <laughs> so I said, so she said, okay, fine. So this is 2012, right? Okay. So once they start the project, she calls me, it's like, were you serious about 
having a place. I'm like, oh, sure, of course, I'm very serious. I mean, I was even planning to move to the States. I even told her, I, still, I told her, no, I'm very serious. So she calls me and I sign an expression of interest. And then she said, okay, so just submit an expression of interest because I guess they also needed to know how many yeah. clients they would get for their project or for their bankers or whatever. So I signed the expression of interest and I left it. And I even went to the States for like a year. And then I said, okay, if it happens, it happens. So I thought of the people who were already buying from me. So at this point, I had at least about 100 people in my in my database. Okay. So between Vodafone, PwC, ENI. So I thought to myself, if on a daily basis with absolutely no advertising, I've been able to reach these people, then surely there must be a need for it. Yeah. And I thought back to this guy, I feel like called Seth Godin. I don't know if I'm saying his name right. But he always says that if you have an idea, can you find 10 people? If you can find 10 people, can they find 10 people? So I already had my 10. So I thought, oh, I was thinking very, very naively. I was like, oh, if I have these people, then surely I'll be okay. You know, so that's what I was thinking. So let's just go for it. And I signed the expression of interest and I left. Yeah. And I said, ah, if it happens, it happens. Let's just move on. You know? So literally we signed the expression of interest and I'm there two and a half, three years later and then the lady calls me like, hey, Yvette, we're ready for your first month's deposit. I was like, oh, is that so? Yeah, so that's what I started thinking about. I was like, crap, this is really happening. So I needed to sit down. I needed to come up with a business plan. I needed to find construction people to even do this thing. Every day was just winging it. I would literally get up and say, okay, today I have to find this. Let's just make it happen. Once I signed the lease and I actually took over the space, I had a three-month fit-out period. Okay. So I had, like, timelines to meet, of which I didn't even know where my rent was coming from or where my work is <laughs> coming from. So I started talking to friends, and someone put me in touch with somebody, did the business plan. I'm like, okay, where are good places? I thought I was going to find partners. I realized how serious the projects was. We looked at the numbers, and we're like, okay, clearly, I don't have that cash. Yeah. So I thought the easiest thing is to find a partner who will come on board and then... Naively, I thought, oh, somebody will just give me the money, be a partner, and then, like, you will get to go. Obviously, that didn't happen. Um, met several potential. Had the conversation. Had the conversation. Come to my office. Come, you pick up the phone. That You're on the way. You're picking up the phone. They're not calling. They're not picking up. You're like, ah. But didn't we just talk last night? <laughs> or you'd have people say, oh, I don't really think this idea would work. Ghana doesn't have that kind of eating culture. We don't like our healthy foods. We just want to stick to our whatever, whatever. So... Finally, in the end, when it got critical, as they say, friends and family just had to pull together. And I'm very fortunate that I had family members and who believed in the idea and saw my hustle spirits. They were like, okay. So Yvette, your parents paid huge amounts for you to go to, you know, law school and do your master's in international relations. And with the hopes, I'm assuming, of you becoming... A renowned, you know, a renowned lawyer. Was there like any point in time when you felt like you were not meeting your parents' expectations? And how did they take it when you told them, you know what, forget this law school. I want to sell food. Yes. My dad died, unfortunately, before Cafe Kwai could open. But my mom, I think she struggled with the concept. Again, it's very much your daughter has gone to law school. She's come back. So you also want to say, you know, here lies the daughter <laughs> wearing her pajamas and chopping onions. <laughs> And making salads, you're like, I don't know, what's her problem? Yeah. Do you see? So I think she struggled with accepting the idea for a while. But then the first year of Cafe Kwai, we got featured in the UK Financial Times. Oh, and she was very excited. That one day, and as soon as you get, hmm, Nana Kwai, she was just featured. <laughs> yeah. So how did that happen? So again, I was there one night and this lady walked in and she was the West African correspondent for FT. 
So she came from a meeting in the building. It was leaving. And um, there's a segment called, right now, something about where to hang out in a city or something. So she was in a car and she was looking. She had a destination in mind, a restaurant that she was going to go and check out and write about. But she walked past the cafes, came in and was like, huh. And I think she said she went on Instagram, saw our story, thought it was a cute story, read, obviously, the background. Called me the next day and was like, listen, I was going to do this place, but I think your story is actually more organic and is actually more reflective of the new Africa and where Africa is going. Would you mind if I tell your story? And that's how it happened. And who were your first customers? Who were my first customers? Probably the same friends and family. I'm really fortunate to have a solid crew of people who believe in me. Even my mother. As much as she insulted me. If she has to come and work in my kitchen to help me out, she'll, she'll come and help me out. You know, if she has to go and tell her church people that I have a restaurant, she'll go and tell them that I have a restaurant and they'll come. And the same with my sister, my brothers, they'll all cuss me out and think I'm crazy with my head in the clouds. But if it gets to supporting me and pushing forward my idea, they're the first people, my friends who worked at Vodafone. I have a very good friend who worked at Vodafone at that time. She made so much noise about Cafe Quiet. I had a good friend who works at Stambic. People even thought she had shares in Stambic because that's how much, sorry, in Cafe Quiet because she was making so much noise about the place. My friends in different positions, my best friend put a blast. She's always on Facebook and has like a million followers. She put a blast out on Cafe Quiet on the day before we opened and said, make sure you go and check it out. So it was really very organic word of mouth. Obviously it took 2012, I signed the expression of interest. I didn't open to 2015. So every time I went somewhere and I spotted someone who was good, I would say, I'm about to open a place. When I'm ready, I'll call you. Okay. If you know somebody who's just like you, then let me know. Invariably, a lot of them ended up coming to work for me anyway. My first core group, some of whom are still with me, were people like I would go to restaurants or at sports. And they didn't, weren't even experienced per se. I just liked spirit. So I hired for a spirit of hospitality and they had that. So I'd be like, okay, you when I'm ready, I'll call you. And it's so funny. They waited, some of them waited for like two years to hear back from me. So how did they feel when you reached out to them after such a long period of time? I don't even think they thought about that. I think they probably just thought, who's this crazy lady who's coming and said she's going to hire us? Let's go and see what she's doing. And you know how like the service industry is so transient. So I'm sure if they came in and didn't like it, they would have checked out <laughs> in a few months anyway. You know, so a lot of them just literally trusted me and said, OK, let's go along for the ride. And literally from every month it was picking up. And we're getting more traction. It was getting more exciting. And I think it was an exciting feeling because I had never done this before. So I remember the first day we had soup. We had pumpkin soup on the menu. And somebody said, Madam, somebody wants to do a takeaway pumpkin soup. I was like, ah, what's the way to put this in? <laughs> because I hadn't even thought of takeaway packs for my soup. So we put it in a coffee cup because I was like, okay, let's just improvise. And I quickly had to order. But they themselves found it amusing. Like, Madam, what's the way to put this? I said, I don't know. So let's just put it in a coffee cup and let's wing it and let's, let's see how it goes. So every day was a story. There was always something exciting. Every, like literally we're there 12, 15 hours a day chugging it. So tell us what inspires your menu choices. I love to travel and I love simple food. So it's really a combination of the two. There's a strong influence, I guess. The idea of farm to table. So very little ingredients. So you allow the flavor of the food to come out instead of masking it with a ton of stuff. So the inspiration really, yes, for my travels and for my love of simple food. Generally, I don't like complicated food. I'm the last person to waste a seven-course meal on because really, it's a a good burger, fries, a good salad. (laughs) Like, I'm happy. So that's what really inspires me. I like simple ingredients, fresh ingredients. I don't like preservatives. So stuff that you can do with four or five ingredients, natural spices. Obviously we have rents, we have expenses that come up, a fridge will break down, all those things come up. But I'm happy to say that, yes, we are making enough to be able to pay back 
friends and family who so lovingly trusted us with our crazy idea. There's competition, but there really is no competition because I think there's only one me who can interpret food the way I want to interpret it. And it's going to resonate with my customers the way it resonates with them. Just like Vida's customers are going to feel drawn to Vida for a certain reason. Exo's customers are going to feel drawn to them for a certain reason. I've never been one to operate from a place of scarcity. I believe the pie is massive. I move from a place of abundance. I don't even think there are days when I have so many ideas, I can't even sleep. So, So even as I am now, I haven't even finished what I want to do. And it makes the place more exciting. I've always said studies show that where there's a cluster of restaurants it actually draws people right. to the area because people know that it's a place they can go and socialize and stuff. So for me, the more the merrier. It's just, you know, then if, I'm, if I run out of matches, I can always go and borrow it from somebody, you know, versus going to a shop to go and, go and buy it from them, you know. They're close by. So, so it helps out. At the time you were starting Cafe Kwai, mm-hmm. the concepts of cafes, did they actually exist in Accra at the time? The cafe culture is, I mean, it's still very new in Ghana. When I moved, that was part of my frustration because I'm a bit of a loner. I'm happiest by myself, as much as I like to talk. With a good book, headphones on, miles away, just daydreaming away. When I moved back, it was hard to go to a place and not be bothered. Because, you know, obviously, if you go to the hotels and you're a girl alone, they think you're coming to look for, yeah. like, you know, or waiters were constantly, Madam, are you okay? I'm just like, Madam, like, just let me be, you know. So, in a sense, I created Cafe Quiet for someone like myself. Okay. A place where it has a good vibe. You come and work, you could come and eat, but you could also really just chill out if you want to. Nobody bothers you. Wi-Fi, you're in your zone. Yeah, in that sense, it was new. But that's why I created it, because I felt there wasn't anything like that done in the way I wanted to do Was that sort of like a hindrance for you, especially in the Ghanaian context? It was, even in terms of finding investment, because there was no template to go by. So they're like, ah, what idea is this? And they looked at the menu, because obviously when you're presenting to a potential investor, you're showing him a sample menu, and he's seeing pumpkin soup, he's seeing... Hummus, <laughs> you know, things like that. It's like, what exactly are you going to be serving, you know? Because they couldn't get it. They yeah. thought if it's not jollof and rice or if it's not chicken and chips, Guineans won't like it. Yeah. But three years later, we're still showing that's a lot. And it's worked for you. You make it sound like it's been all rosy. It's not rosy, but I think it's also about mindset. Okay. A big part of what I have done, and I'm grateful for the three years that between the time I signed the lease and the time I actually started working, It was also a time of self-development for myself. I love me some Oprah. If Oprah says it, I believe it. Oprah is the queen of motivation and thinking good about yourself. So through that and through other people that I follow, I was really able to work on myself and my emotional and mental fortitude before I opened Cafe Quiet. One of my friends always says, in light of all eternity, what is this worth? When you put things in that context, you realize that really there's nothing too serious, anything, nothing too serious in this world. Yeah. Yes. You may come and not like my food, but that's your opinion. Thank you for letting me know. I appreciate it. Let's move on. You know, if there's something I can fix, we fix it. If we can't fix it and it's a matter of your taste, I can't really help you with that. So I just take it in context. If we can extract something from it and work on it, we do. If not, we leave the rest on the floor and move on. How do you handle stuff like that? Because now in the new world, you have bloggers. Yeah, you have yeah, people yeah. who come in and taste food and they go yeah, and write yeah. about it. Yes. So it's context, right? Because I always have this conversation with bloggers. Like, what is the point of your blog? Is it to say, oh, I came to Cafe Quai and there was something wrong? Then, okay, that's fine. You came and there was something wrong. We're sorry that there was something wrong. Or is it to keep us honest and to keep us on our toes and to keep the service impeccable and the food great and to keep the standards? Because if that's the case, then we can learn from it. But if your review is from a point of attack, after you've attacked me, I'm like, okay, I'm sorry. What now? Do you see? So I always say, let us know because we're human. We're not robots. We're going to make mistakes. 
And when we make mistakes, we aim to fix it. The goal is excellence, but it's a work in progress and it will forever be a work in progress. Even my workers, I tell them, don't be afraid to make mistakes because you're going to make mistakes. But when you make the mistake, what can you learn from that mistake? Because when a customer leaves, ultimately, the mistake has already been done. But what we can control is how did we end the story? Okay. Did we say, oh, we're so sorry. Come back and try it next time. Or did we fix it? Or did we replace your plate for you? So you can always learn from something. There's nothing really that serious in life. You know? How do you keep the customer experience impeccable? Those are the words you used. How do you keep it that way? I tell my workers, it's like somebody has come to your house. Ultimately, people spend so much time at work. And because of traffic in our t- outside of town, it's, you spend a lot of time outside the house. And work is stressful. So when you come to a place like Cafe Kwa, you go to a restaurant, you want a place where you can just chill, you can relax. You're not always looking around for someone to serve you. You're not looking for drama. Yeah. So I always tell my workers, it's like somebody has come to your house after a long journey. How do we make that person feel comfortable? If it's put through that light, then it can't be fake. You know, because if somebody comes to your house, if your auntie has come to visit you from, say, from a long journey, the yeah. first thing you do is, oh, auntie, welcome. Can I give yeah, you water? water yeah. Or can I give you something to drink? Do you want to go and take a shower? So you're thinking about it in that light. And a lot of our customers have been with us from the beginning. We end up treating them like our friends. Yeah, so right. we, when they sit down, we know they want their iced tea a certain way. We know they want a fuller milkshake a certain way. So we're programmed. And so I think that customers feel that. You can't fake that. That kind of stuff you can't fake. It has to be organic. I think our customers have gotten to know that. Um, and the word has spread. We have dope service. So you're listening to Africa's Business Rockstars and our guest today has been Yvette Zanamokwai and Sa of Cafe Kwai. When we get back, we're going to find out how she keeps sane in this crazy world called entrepreneurship. What's the struggle of entrepreneurship like? Because, I mean, we know the struggle is real. It is very real. There's this quote I keep seeing on Instagram that don't let social media fool you about mm. entrepreneurship. Mm. It's not glamorous. Mm-mm. It's not about having your own hours and waking up and going to work whenever you want. It's tough. It's lonely. You will be depressed. You will be broke. You will have no friends. You'll be tough to date if you're not married, that is. Um, And um, I think if you were to ask me what has surprised me the most about running my own business is about how hard I've had to work. Because the first six months I wanted to sell the business, I told my brother, I was like, hey, let's sell it. I'm like, I can't. I don't think I can survive. No, but it's very, very tough. What makes it tough? There's the the business side of it, obviously, because you have to make sure you're making enough money to cover your costs. Right. You're managing so many different people. You are dealing with different personalities. You're dealing with customers. And if you're someone like me who's a bit of a control freak, you want things to be a certain way and a certain standard. So there's that even that battle within yourself, constant competitive battle within yourself to make sure that you're meeting your own standards. That's the business side of stuff, right? You have AMA constantly coming. You have ECG. You have Mm -hmm. this. You have Mm -hmm. this, right? And then there's the personal stuff, which I think is not talked about often enough. Okay. Which is what people sometimes even call the dark side of entrepreneurship, which is like the loneliness, the high levels of depression amongst entrepreneurs. The I'm notoriously hard to date. Mm-hmm. I cannot I cannot check my phone for like you send me a message and I'll forget. <laughs> Not intentionally, just because I'm busy. Right. You know, so there's a price to pay for it. And you have to be willing to do the work. I see a lot of people who just want it now. You know, before somebody gets to know about your story, the person has probably been working in the background for years. Yes, exactly. On various failed things and disappointments and heartbreak before you get to see the glory story, right? Right. And I think people need to recognize that it's tough, it's hard work. And if you're lazy, don't bother. Just get a nine to five. You'll be all right. It's not life for you. So we like the concept of entrepreneurship. Right. Like you said, social mm. media makes it look so glamorous, glamorous and all right? of yeah. that. Yes. But you mentioned having a business plan, working out your numbers. There are individuals who just cannot do that. Is that like a necessity to it's ensure absolutely that? absolutely essential. It's like a roadmap. 
And I got to learn that, thankfully, within the first year, that even before we opened, because that's how I was able to convince my family members. I'm like, look at this. This is based on these numbers. If Airport City has like, I don't know, 50 offices and mm-hmm. they're like 100 people in each office and mm-hmm. even 10% of this. So there were definitely computations we did that said okay. this would make sense. And I think it also gives you confidence once you have those numbers, because with numbers, it doesn't lie. So you sort of look at it and say, okay, if based on this, this is my worst case, this is my average, this is my best case. Right. Then based on this, we can go ahead with that idea. And I think it's Nobody's saying have like the best Excel spreadsheets with all these formulas, but at least have something that's going to guide you. And I also think it's essential once you start. I hate numbers. Get me in the kitchen. I will mix up anything you want. But if you tell me to look at numbers, I'm not interested. It's okay that I'm not interested, but I have to make sure I hire somebody who is interested, who finds numbers sexy. And then they do the numbers part of it for me because it's essential. You talk to people, they don't even know if they're breaking even, like yeah. how much money they have in the bank. I mean, you can't do that and run a successful business So that's anyway. to say you have a partner who helps you with the financial aspect? So I did. I've hired a consultant. Okay. I have a business strategist who, in addition to doing my basic accounting, also we have a financial business plan about how we're going to scale Cafe Kwai, how is the business going to grow, what are, why is it so high, why are we spending so much money here? So she looks at the numbers at the end of the month and is able to tell me, okay, that this month this was high, why? Or this month this was low, why? Maybe right. we need to bulk up sales on sandwiches because nobody's buying sandwiches. You know, that kind of stuff. So it makes life easier. Right. You know, because that headache is taken care of and and sorted out. What has been your worst moment? My worst moment. My Mm -hmm. worst moment. Have there been any? You know, I always say my father died 18 years ago. Yeah. I literally thought I was going to die. I didn't think I could survive that experience. And I did. So for me, that was the lowest I've been my whole life. And for me to come back out of that and not just even come out and thrive, I feel like very little compares yeah. to me anyway. So some of the worst maybe have been getting duped. Like I hired a very dubious contractor. I didn't know about that at that time, obviously. When we opened, within months, most of my equipment he got were low grade and just mm. started breaking down. So we had to spend a lot of money replacing the bulk of right. our kitchen equipment. And that was kind of heartbreaking because you're already struggling. You have to deal with this nonsense. I guess the little things, I take cafe quite personally. So I take our reviews very personally sure. and what people say about it. Yeah. So if I go online and I see a bad review, I'm like, ah, oh. like it'll mess me up for a while. Of but, course, you know, of course. Yeah. We just, as I say, we learn from it and we move on. The worst. And just the struggle. For me, it's not a worst moment. There are worst periods. Right. Where you're just overwhelmed with different stuff. What's going on with work? What's going on with workers? What's going on with your personal life? It's just like a mix of everything. So how do you keep saying I missed all of this? On a practical level, I read a lot from people who've done this, not just here, but as I said, I love me some Oprah. I listen to podcasts of women entrepreneurs and the common thread is making sure that physically, mentally, spiritually, you are in a good place yourself. So for me, I love to work out. So I have a dance group that I do classes with three okay. to four times a week. My dance hall divas. Woo-woo. I love to journal. I like to be quiet in my house, listening to music, drinking some wine, just chilling out. I lie in my sister's bed and talk plenty her ear off. I might have nephews and a niece now that I play with. <laughs> yeah. So it's just making sure that Yvette is healthy. Right. Physically, physically mentally, mentally yes. spiritually. So that I can deal with Cafe Kwai from that whole place. Yeah. Because as they say, you can't pour from an empty cup. So you yourself need to be full full. and then 
through that fullness, you know, you can give to your business and give to whoever else you need to. So while you're away at Dancehall Divas, say, four times a week, how do you ensure that stuff is still going on as should be at the cafe? We just turned three in October. Oh, congratulations. Thank you. As part of that, I started reading about how to scale businesses. Okay. I started reading a lot of books about how do you grow your business. And then one of the books I read said something that really stuck with me. It said, if you have a company or you run a company where you are physically required to be there mm-hmm. all the time for it to work, then what you have is a it's, job. You're yeah. an entrepreneur. You have a job. And God forbid you get sick or something happens and your business is going it's to over. collapse. Yeah. It's over. So that got, really got me thinking. and slowly. In addition to hiring the business strategy, we started putting steps in place to help delegate. Yeah. I've hired managers. I've empowered some of my people. They've worked with me for a long time, so they know how things work. So we just put the steps in place, checklist, cameras, yeah, mystery diners, all that stuff. So it's all together collective effort to make sure that things are working when I'm not around. Do you invest in the brand? Firstly, in Cafe Choir as a brand and in yourself personally, not cash-wise. So, for instance, do you go for branding classes? Do you go for customer yes, experience I do. sessions? I love self. Look, I'm all about self-help and self-empowerment. I said, because of Instagram and uh, social media, now you don't even need to know somebody to even learn from them. Because yeah. people are giving out so much free material exactly. online. Exactly. I love Marie Folio. She's one of these girls. She has so much information, videos, plans that you can come up with. So, yes, I invest quite a bit of time on yeah. self-help. Okay. And learning about how to position myself and my business for the type of growth that I want to have. Best moments. Best moments. Oh, there have been so many. And it could be the little things. Like my brother said he sat on a plane once. He was coming to Ghana and he sat next to someone and he was like, oh, he's going to Ghana. They struck up a conversation. He mentioned that his sister owns a restaurant and the guy was like, oh, which one? And he's like, Cafe Quiet. He's like, oh, that's one of my favorite places. (laughs) You know, those kind of organic things that you can't really pay for those moments, right? Or when somebody says, I hated avocado and because of you and your because of your avocado toast now I like I'm a diehard you know those kind of things you feel like you're actually making a difference in somebody's life or even my workers a huge chunk of them have been with me from the beginning and I've seen them grow you know I see the way they pick up the phone now the swag with which they say hello cafe I'm like hey master (laughs) okay so you know so I've seen growth and the confidence I've seen them also grow seen them and help their families do this you know some of them have left to go to school so those kind of moments are very rewarding and then I think probably the most recent times when we celebrated the third anniversary I felt very proud yeah. of what we've been able to accomplish in three years and yeah. excited about what the future holds for, for Cafe Kwai. So what Kwai. does the future hold for Cafe Kwai? I can't really tell you everything. But... <laughs> <laughs> sure. Tell us what we can be told. So what you can be told is that Cafe Kwai, the brand, will continue to stand for excellence. So it, it could be a different eating experience. Maybe not Cafe Kwai, but definitely from my head. Yeah. You know, a different eating experience. It could be hospitality school. Yeah. It could be a book. All right. So normally on Africa's Business Rockstars, what we do is to have something called a Rockstar Coat. And so Yvette of Cafe Kwai, what is that Rockstar Coat that you want to share with listeners to sort of inspire them to also get ahead and then get into their own entrepreneurship ventures? Okay. So this is a quote from Oprah Winfrey. And it says, nothing about my life is lucky. Nothing. A lot of grace, a lot of blessings, a lot of divine order, but I don't believe in luck. For me, luck is preparation, meeting the moment of opportunity. There is no luck without you being prepared to handle that moment of opportunity. Every single thing that has ever happened in your life is preparing you for the moments that is to come. And that is my rock star quote. Thank you. So it's been a really fun session. Thank you for interacting with us on Ooh, Africa's Rockstars. Business Rockstars. <laughs> 
Thank you, thank you. Cool. All right. So you've been listening to Yvette Nana Amakwai Ansa of Cafe Kwai on Africa's Business Rockstars. We hope you've enjoyed this episode and we'll catch you on the next one. Goodbye.